listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 333. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our discussion of the YouTube science fiction series Impulse. And we're doing another morning recording, but by the time you guys hear this, uh, it will be post-holiday and we both hope everybody had a great holiday. I, I know you got a lot going on. Uh, I've probably got a little easier road to hoe than you do. I just got to drive six minutes and bring cheese and crackers that is yeah that, that that's nice that's a lot easier that's still cool though yeah it's a good time get to see family and we get to see all my sisters this holiday so i'm looking forward to that yeah cool now one of the things i don't think i mentioned to the listeners when it happened this was probably about a month ago wayne and i were about 45 minutes into a recording and my computer just died and of course nothing saved and we had to re-record from the beginning and all of that it, it turned out to be the battery and we both record into macbook airs and my battery was just you know uh, i guess pretty much dead and was not coming back so i had to use the power cord uh, every time apple does not like you going inside their computers i don't know i know you probably have never opened yours up but you have to have these no. special screwdrivers they're like five-sided they call them a pentalobe hmm. so anyway i got the screwdrivers ordered a battery online took me like 10 minutes literally to replace it so good to go seems to be operating the way it should so that's certainly uh, good news but speaking of other good news, I don't know how we didn't talk about this. I, I got to believe you know that Doctor Who is going to be airing an episode January 1st. Yeah. Okay. But we didn't talk about it, I don't think. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's weird. Like, Doctor Who has been strangely off my radar for a while now. Like, not because I don't like it, just, you know, I don't know. It just, just well, has been it, so long since the last season. Exactly. Right. It's been off everybody's radar, uh, except the Doctor Who podcast that I listen to. And uh, God bless them. They figure out something to talk about, whether it's new who, old who, whatever. But uh, yeah, so we haven't talked about whether we'll actually talk about this episode. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it at, at some point at, at some length. But in the past, uh, we have done full podcasts about the Doctor Who Christmas episode, I think once and season premiere, maybe once or twice. So, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. But that's something to look forward to. I assume you have BBC America now in your system. I, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I know at one point you did not. Right. Because of uh, changes. uh Right, I just like I, I made. I, yeah, well, it's um, you know I have PlayStation View, which is ending on uh, January thirtieth. So, you know that's fun. So we actually mean, uh, went with uh, Comcast now. Oh, you mean it's ending for everybody or just for you? Yeah, for everyone. Oh, okay. It's it's okay. it's Dunzies. There, they actually sent right. emails suggesting that we uh, we go to YouTube TV. Okay. But, well, uh, on the one hand, really good deal. So, I mean, on the one hand, that's good news that maybe some of these streaming services are going to realize just there's too many of you. Let's funnel everything back to Netflix. I mean, come on. So, in terms of what I'm watching this week, I checked out the first episode of Netflix's The Witcher, which is something I'm going to have to cover for Den of Geek with Michael. Just the first two episodes. Have you seen it yet? Uh-uh. Okay. It's pretty good. I, I I really enjoyed the first episode, but what's really bothering me is, is I look at some of the reviews online, and I, I just see a plethora of lazy reviewers that feel compelled to compare it to Game of Thrones, to me, simply as a means to criticize it. Because, what, any series now that takes place in that rough time period oh we got to compare it to game of thrones i mean come on right i mean well, is it great anything that has guys with long hair and swords they're going to compare mean, to game of thrones oh it's just that's just lazy writing i think so i, I like the first episode i'm definitely going to check out the second and, and and again we'll see how it goes the other show that i really just checked out because i had some time i had extremely low expectations and that's v wars 
also on Netflix, starring mm-hmm. Ian Summerholder, who you guys might know from Vampire Diaries and, and certainly as Boone in Lost. And you know, it was okay. A standard Ice Age virus gets loose, and of course, the the premise here is that it causes vampirism. You know, after my rant last week, I still can say and feel good about this statement. It's better than any episode of Stranger Things season three. So, uh, V Wars. Uh, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, check it out. But. I don't know if I'm going to keep going with it. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are you watching? Well, first thing I got to do, obviously, is have a shout out to uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. I've, I've seen a lot of the. It, it seems to be a very polarizing movie. There's there's uh, a lot of love and there's a lot of hate going out there. I probably fall maybe somewhere. And I'm not going to like do any spoilers, but. For the most part, it's like a like when people ask me about, it, I say it's a. I think it's a really good Star Wars movie. You know, when you go to a Star Wars movie, it's not like you're expecting, you know, what you to, you see like a Scorsese film or something. You know, like I'm not necessarily looking for an amazingly artistic film. I'm just looking for something that has like a lot of cool special effects and visuals, uh, a, a story that basically makes sense. And um, characters that I like, uh, a lot of good action and adventure and funny and things like that. And I think Rise of Skywalker pretty much checks all of those. The one place it kind of falls down a little bit maybe is there's a plot element. And I'm not going to say what it is, but you, you you probably have seen it online or heard about it. There's a plot element that's just bananas. I, I get also that part of it is J.J. Abrams trying to you know, reconcile the complete and utter cluster F that was The Last Jedi. Um, and, you know, it's like someone just came to your house and, you know, crapped and puked all over your floor and left. And you're just like, oh, what the hell am I going to do now? How, how am I going to clean this up? You know, so obviously if you're a Star Wars fan, I think you will love uh, the Rise of Skywalker, and if you're not, you probably will also reinforce your negative elements. And if you're somewhere in between, you'll probably go in and s- come out saying, "Well, that was a that was an enjoyable movie." Yeah, I liked it. There was some stuff in there that were a little bit of a head scratcher, but uh, otherwise, good flick. So, um, the other thing I'd like to talk really quickly is just t- now you, I assume, have not finished Watchmen by this point, right? I haven't, but my wife was reading an article online yesterday, and she brought it back up, and I told her, no, I've only seen the first two just uh, as she had, so I think we're going to revisit it, but that, I, again, I haven't moved on yet. Okay. Um, so, you know, Watchmen last week, uh, last Sunday, had their season, and potentially series, I, I, don't, I haven't got any word on whether they're going to have uh, a season two with this, and... Yeah, I thought it was it was great, but and here's the again without any spoilers or anything. I'm just gonna say that again. I, I think the final couple last two episodes of Watchmen were um, also divisive. Um, but my personal take is that it started off kind of telling one type of story that was grounded here on Earth and kind of like a almost a realistic type world and it ended up completely the other way um kind of finishing in a it very much the the spirit of the original graphic novel and in a comic book manner so i'm not saying whether I, I like that or not it just it it threw me and you've seen the first two so you know starting off with the tulsa massacre of 1921 was not what anyone was expecting as the first scene of Watchmen, right? You're like, what the, you know? Yeah, right. You know, you're like, what the, and so, and then you get, I got kind of comfortable with the idea, well, now they're they're telling a story that's really grounded in the here and now. It's not our world, but it does speak to a lot of things, and and, and it's a very much dealing with almost, I guess, say realistic type issues. And then, you know, once then I, that's kind of what I expected, probably, I think the first five, I think 
season, episode five was my favorite episode. And, and then it kind of, there was a big shift in the narrative. Definitely the last three, maybe the last four even um, episodes, really kind of a big shift in the narrative there. Uh, but still, like, really, you know, love it or hate it, you got to love Damon Lindelof and, and what he does and how he's not afraid to push the boundaries of what we expect in, in, in a television show. Um, and like he did with The Leftovers. Um, and, you know, while I think The Leftovers was probably he pushed the boundaries a little bit more, believe it or not, than with Watchmen, it's still like just great television and to see something different from your boilerplate stuff that you see so often so check it out cool okay sounds good all right well let's get to impulse episode 104 vita more which i assume means life and death written by john mccutcheon and this is his first writing credit so uh yeah i thought this was pretty good episode uh directed Yeah, directed by Mark Tondurai, who's directed for 12 Monkeys, Doctor Who, Lucifer, Gotham. So, you know, certainly got a lot on his resume. But the first story that I want to talk about is Clay Boone's recovery. And, you know, we don't see a lot. And I guess on the surface, it's almost like, well, why is this here? What does this add to the story? And obviously, we know clay's got to get out of the hospital eventually and and you know he will probably recover his memory i mean certainly that's what henry fears but i guess for me the the single thing that comes out of any of the clay boone sequences in this episode is when his ex-girlfriend patty comes to the hospital to try to make a video so that people will donate money to a kickstarter campaign that she's started and and he even points out she does seem like the kind of person that this is really about her, not about him. Mm-hmm. But he starts hitting on her. And apparently they broke up because he cheated on her. And he's just an asshole. I mean, any yeah. <laughs> doubts we may have had right. have evaporated yeah, I, along I, I, with any sympathy we have. Exactly. I think that's the thing that you tend to sympathize with someone who something like that's happened to them and and now they're uh paraplegic and so we're like oh well yeah you know maybe that clay wasn't so bad after all even though he tried to rape henry you know but now we're reminded oh yeah he is that bad like you said he's an asshole (laughs) you know like he's still the same asshole just because he can't walk doesn't mean his personality got sunnier all of a sudden in fact it's probably even worse than it was before now, Detective Halche is investigating on her own, and, and she's certainly a fascinating character as we get little bits and pieces of her backstory. But she and another officer go to the Mennonite farm to inform Jeremiah Miller and his wife that their son was found dead of an overdose of fentanyl, which, uh, you know, we, we can start piecing things together because we, we know there are manufacturing drugs out there. But because his body was found on American soil, it gets a little bit more complicated. But the key thing, I, I again, I think that comes out here are these panic attacks that we see hit Detective Hulche. And she sees a black teenage boy walking among the hanging sheets on the line. Uh, look, of course, we don't know necessarily whether that's a hallucination at first, but it, it becomes pretty clear early on that that's what it is and then later she's looking at the crime scene photo and she has another panic attack so this is yes. a, a a police officer that you know, we get the idea that she's been an officer for a while now you know we, we get some hints that uh, she has come to this small town from the big city i forget her partner or somebody you know makes a mention <laughs> of that uh, earlier right earlier well, i think on. he said the inner city like oh right I, I, it, was, it was like a definitely a racist um thing going on there but but yeah she she definitely and we saw i guess maybe his last episode when she's talking to her sister and um you know she doesn't know if she should come home and she's questioning whether 
people will accept her. So that something happened back then. Right. And we start to get the idea that, you know, maybe it has something to do with this black teenager that she sees once she's back in her car and thinks he's in the back seat. But immediately it turns into a white guy with a gun that tells her to drive, which we assume is the reality of the situation, although we don't right. have any follow up on it in, in this episode. So, uh, you know, who's the guy with the gun in the back seat of the car, given that we know Bill Boone and Jeremiah Miller are in the drug business together? I think the reasonable uh, assumption is that it has something to do with that. But, you know, she doesn't necessarily seem to be pursuing the drug business per se i mean she's investigating this homicide or you know drug overdose at this point so yeah i I think that's really fascinating about her character that clearly there's something that's you know in her past that that really was a trauma and given the trauma that sets henry off on this journey that she's on yeah you know it's a nice little uh, parallel i think Right, and it seems like her this hallucination or this memory, whatever, is triggered by you know telling these parents that their child is dead. She does not seem to be old enough to have a child that old. Um, so that's you know my my first thought was that oh well she she had a son and, and he died and that's kind of the thing that is why she's in Reston now and not, I, I guess they're talking about New York, maybe Buffalo or Syracuse is the big city that they're talking about. Um, but I assume it's New York City, that, that's the where she came from. But but then, you know, I saw her as a teenager, I'm like, mm, I don't know, she's old enough to really have had a kid that old, so maybe it's like a brother or something, and she feels responsible for his death. But clearly, uh, a, a, a young man, um, I, I'd say probably died, she feels some kind of responsibility. It's also why her she's estranged from her, her family as well. Right, uh, but yeah, um, the, the whole thing with the guy in the back—I'm just like, you, like, yeah, like that's all you're giving me. Like, just some guys like randomly in the back of her car with a gun, and and she drives off. And then that—that's all you're giving us. Come on, like I'm going to watch the next yeah. episode anyway. Give me a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah. So now the other thing that comes up in this episode has to do with a death as well. And and that's a story that follows Cleo, Jenna and family fun day. And, you know, Cleo's one of those interesting characters because we know what she's put Henry through for a good portion of her life, moving from man to man, city to city, town to town. And, and it's really uh, you know, impacted Henry negatively, yet Henry still seems to give her mother a pass on that. And, you know, maybe it's it's Henry's age. I think she's supposed to be 16. I, I heard her say in an interview this past week. But we, we see Cleo at the diner talking to Bill and, and thanks her for their talk at the bowling alley. And it's a really good scene because it, it gives us, I think, a, a different look at Cleo. We don't really see how big the bill is that he gives her for a tip. We figure it's at least a 20. And she's like, no, I'll take $3 and gives them back the rest. And that impresses him so much that he basically seems to be offering her a job. I mean, she is a good waitress, but maybe not, maybe not that good. But Right. There's definitely more to this whole thing with with bill boone um and my original suspicion is that we've saw him having sex with uh, a lady in his office so i'm I'm, my original suspicion is that that's where he's heading i I don't think he's trying to figure anything out about henry or trying to ingratiate himself with cleo to try and work out what happened to clay it's just here's an attractive woman i think he's you know using his his power and his money to, you know, kind of seduce her. And again, like we said with clay, 
we might fall into this trap of thinking, oh, Bill's actually kind of an okay guy because he is very charming with Cleo. And we saw him confess that he hasn't had a drink in 13 years and things like that. So we start to think, oh, he's all right. And we haven't exactly seen the other shoe drop just yet, but I imagine pretty soon the other shoe is going to drop and we're going to be reminded, oh, well, he's not okay. And that this all this stuff where he's putting on this this charming demeanor and everything is is a front for what really lies underneath. Well, right, and we know the waitress that he was having sex with at the car dealership works at this diner, so she's one of uh, Cleo's co-workers, so it it certainly seems that maybe it's headed in the direction that you were just implying. So so we'll see. Uh, But the other thing with Cleo is the connection she has and the interaction with Jenna, we see Cleo trying to figure out what to wear for what she thinks is a job interview. I mean, he didn't really say it was a job interview. He basically right. just said, come down and, and see him, which again, yeah, do we, maybe that turns out just to have sex, sure. but she doesn't take it that way. Jenna burns her hand baking and Cleo offers to help and, you know, we later learn in this episode that Family Fun Day is related to her mother's death and, and that, you know, this was the day her mother wanted to have a, a good day because she just found out uh, that she had, I guess it was early onset dementia, I think. Um, Alzheimer's, yeah. Uh, yeah, we learn. But Jenna pulls back. And, and and we understand that at her age, I guess she's supposed to be 16 as well. She probably feels as if she lets Cleo help her, it somehow betrays her mother. And of course, Cleo's not trying to do anything like that at all. She's just trying to help. I mean, she is sort of the mother figure in, in this relationship, but but she doesn't come across that way. It's not as if she tries to discipline Jenna, not that Jenna needs any discipline at this point. But Right, uh, right. Well, I, I got a feeling that, that Jenna, not so much that like she, like Cleo was replacing her mother, but just this is just a day where Jenna just kind of needs to be in her own space, you know, and, and to, to deal with things on her own. And, and she just doesn't, you know, she, like, she just wants to stay in the house. She wants to bake the cookies and everything and, um, you know, just kind of still you know kind of working through her her mother's death with which obviously took place quite a while ago yeah and i really like the way cleo opens up to jenna they're out trying clothes she finally convinces uh, jenna to go with her to pick something out and and she tells her that she just wants henry to be proud of her and it, it comes up later uh, that she wants to be able to have henry tell her friends yeah my mother's a sales person rather than a waitress as if that's somehow you know not as impressive or would somehow be embarrassing and of course henry's uh, doesn't care at this point but jenna clearly has something on her mind finally tells cleo she wants to go home and you know it just it, it's a difficult situation all around and we find out that as I said, that was the day her mom was diagnosed, pulls her out of school and tells her it's family fun day. And there's this connection to the, the baking that she and her mom did. And, you know, I, I guess this is something she's done each day over yeah. the past three years. So uh, well, every yeah, every every year on this day. like Right. And, and Cleo has the absolute perfect response when jenna is telling her about this and 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 crying she sounds like an amazing woman and i don't know what else she she could have said so you know um but henry we had said before that that jenna's mom did sound like she was like an amazing mom and everything and you know like we had said you know jenna herself is kind of the proof that she was you know had good parenting and everything um so it's just it was really just really really sad and we know like right from the start how jenna is acting that this day is significant of course we just assume that's because of her mom because that's like the big 
dark moment in in Jenna's life. Um, so to and to see Cleo start to help her through that. But I think where you're going with is is Henry okay with that though? All right, and then we see Henry watching teleportation videos on her phone, and then she comes down to find Jenna and her mom bonding, and it's almost as if Henry's jealous that Jenna spent time with her mom doing something that she would not have wanted to do herself anyway. And then, and then that that comment, don't you have some more cookies to burn? Like, wow. But yeah, she's done yeah. that to Jenna before, and it's almost like it just rolls off her back. And she tells Henry, appreciate your mother. At least she's there for you. And obviously it's more complicated than that. But that that comment, you don't give her enough credit. And I think that's something that does continue to uh, come at us through the course of this series that that mom has had a difficult life as well. And that doesn't necessarily excuse some of the things she's put Henry through. But I don't think there's any question that Henry's her number one priority and that she loves Henry. And does she make mistakes along the way? Yeah, of course. But I love the fact that Jenna recognizes that Cleo at least tries with Henry. And clearly there are a lot of parents that maybe are even there and don't really try. Sure. Yeah. Bill Boone, for instance. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good that's a good counterpoint as far as the parenting uh, styles, right? Um, you know, I, I think also as you're saying there, you know, Henry does not come off great in this episode. Like we talked about how, like at first, I really didn't like her as a character. And of course, we totally sympathize with her. We're following her struggles, but in this one, like you really start to see how wrapped up she is with her own issues and her. Her, with herself, not only pushing people away as she does to to Jenna here, um, but to be, you know, outright like just totally inconsiderate of what's going on with the people around her because she's just so worried about herself and her own issues. You know, like her her mom, like, as you just said, like her mom is is trying. She's maybe not the greatest mom, but like you said. You know, Henry is her priority and she loves her and she tries to do what's best for her. But then Jenna, like she just completely trashes Jenna on a day that Jenna is really dealing with some pretty significant stuff and everything. So, you know, and it turns around at the end because in the end, finally, Henry does sit down and she's right about to tell Cleo what's really going on when, of course, Cleo closes the binder and she sees the bill boone uh logo on the 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 spine of the binder and you know she's not going to tell her mom about the teleportation if her mom's working for bill boone well you know we're not sure what she's planning to tell her mom is she planning to tell her about the sexual assault or the teleporting i i I guess i'm going with sexual assault because i i don't think mom's quite ready for teleportation at this point so yeah Good point. Uh, but, but I think the one then, end leads into the other, though, doesn't it? Well, sure, of course. But again, if you're going to throw this big reveal on mom, <laughs> maybe you want to ease her into it. But but again, mom says, I'm doing this for you. And then Henry has that, you know, mini epiphany, I guess. And she tells her mom that, that uh, I'm really proud of you. And, and then, of course, doesn't end up telling her anything. But it does appear as if Bill is offering her a job. I mean, he gives her that big manual. I mean, if he just wanted to sleep with her, I don't think he would give her that big manual to go home and study. He notices the tag on her blazer hanging out, uh, the whole thing, uh, wear it and then return it with the tags still intact. But I think we still have to consider, okay, maybe he is hitting on her. Maybe this is a a long con, but I mean, why? I mean, come on. There's no reason that he would have to hire her to have sex with her. That's true. So for whatever reason, you know, he's doing this. Exactly. I just, I, I suspect that there are some kind of ulterior motives involved here. Um, 
So not, you're right. I mean, if he just wanted to have sex with her, why give her a job and everything? Though, if it's as a salesman and working on commission, like, why not? Like, it's not going to cost me anything. She'll only make me money, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's a good point. So, all right, now, the other thing that comes out in this episode Henry's new teleportation destination and what seems to be a little bit more control. I mean, she wakes and finds herself in this closet that's got slatted door so she can see someone on the other side that starts walking towards her. And I guess the fear gets the better of her because she immediately teleports back to her room. The next morning, she's a bit disoriented and wants to talk to jenna but again jenna's not going to school because it's family fun day which kind of catches henry a little bit off guard because jenna is such a good student but she tells her teleported in my sleep yeah whatever of course henry's a bit agitated she doesn't really know what's going on with jenna I don't think she even knows the significance of family fun day when she makes that snarky comment about burning more cookies. You know, she just tells Henry, no, not today. You know, today I'm not helping you. It kind of catches Henry off guard. And, and, and again, you, you were alluding to this a few minutes ago for Henry. Everything seems to be about her, which I guess on the one hand, that's probably every 16 year old ever, but, uh, still i mean she does have to see what's going on with other people what what really i thought you know was like when she took a run at towns you know like i thought that that was completely unjustified and there's these people that are trying to to help her and she's just like she you know i don't know it just seems she's just so wrapped up with herself that you know like she's just pushing away all these people who who are actually trying to help her. So, Right. Now, we see her in English class, and she's nodding off as the teacher's discussing waiting for Godot, which, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I kind of get that. You know, I, I kind of <laughs> get that, but I, I, I don't necessarily see Henry in an AP English class, but, uh, you know, who yeah, knows? Because I, I, I can't imagine they're studying that in regular 11th grade English. But again, who knows? Uh, but you mentioned Towns, and she tells him she needs to talk to him, and you gotta love Towns. You smell bad. Yeah, your hygiene has always been suspect. But and yeah. she's like, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but he shows her the YouTube videos and tells her he thinks there's something different about one of them, and the fact that she may not be alone, which obviously the viewer has has known that for a while from the opening scene of the series. And that's when she tells him about the sleep teleportation. And I love, again, one of his conjectures that, well, perhaps someone's summoning you, which is totally frightening. And the first time I heard him say that, I was surprised that she reacts as she does, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be totally frightening that that yeah. you know, someone is summoning you because in, in a sense, it, it harkens back to the the sexual assault scene in the truck that that somebody is doing something to her right without her consent yeah. and yeah. Uh, certainly could could understand, but. She also points out that this time it wasn't destructive, right? The room is fine. The closet that she teleports into, she says it's almost as like her body just drifted away. But, of course, now she's afraid to go to sleep. And Towns is like, okay, so you want me to watch you sleep as a friend? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, again, this is why, you know, what I'm talking about with Towns, you know, like who – would be willing to do that just sit there for hours watching her sleep you know it's like you, you can see him like getting bored and walking around the room and everything because he's you know kind of losing focus but 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 yeah like henry she it's different right i think her what i see is her 
kind of evolving uh, with her abilities. And now you can see when she leaves the closet, she's almost able to, I don't know if she's, because of what you just said, what she said later, I don't know if she's 100% controlling it, but it's a lot different. It's not really the fear so much. She's much calmer. And, and like you said, the, the, you know, she doesn't destroy everything around her when she goes. She just, she just goes and she's back in her room. So there's definitely, this is like the next step. And who knows, maybe she's being summoned to this place purposefully to help her develop this next step. I don't know. Well, right, because to to this point, we've only talked about uh, the element of a safe haven when she's under duress, when the fear gets the better of her. So I think we still have to consider that as a conclusion that for whatever reason, she feels safe in this closet. Now, uh, you know that said uh, we, we do see that figure on the other side that then sends her right back to her bedroom but you know the thing with towns she tells him i can't do this alone and again we've talked before about towns seeing this through the eyes of somebody that has a lot of experience with the superhero world and the superhero persona and everything that goes along with it and to a certain extent he's not wrong when he brings that stuff up but what towns really brings is that logic to a situation that just seems totally illogical he's not a big fan of her smoking a joint but he gives her 283 dollars in case she ends up somewhere and needs a way back. And this whole idea of being mentally prepared for whatever we might find. And, you know, we see that later on where she has learned this lesson from towns that, okay, maybe I better wear my winter coat when I go to sleep because who knows where I'm going to end up. Right. And And, and we know one of those places is like Antarctica or something. (laughs) Yeah. A right. place she could potentially be left is very, very cold. So. Right. Don't want to be and there just in the Hawaiian shirt. He puts something on her wrist to record her heart rate, blood pressure. But again, that, that desperation that, that she's feeling, you're not going to leave me, are you? And then she, of course, immediately falls asleep. And, and, and we see that time-lapse sequence, as you were saying a few minutes ago towns is reading walks around nods off and he wakes just in time to see her teleport away and she finds herself in that same closet and starts looking through a box when somebody walks toward the door again teleports back to the room and awaiting towns but she doesn't recognize the photo of the little girl and he tells her she needs to go back but she thinks the person on the other side of the door may have had a gun and, and yeah, well, we hear like a click, like, like, uh, right. Uh, right. And then he wonders, well, maybe that girl needs your help. You're a superhero. This is your duty and takes her joint away from her. Yeah. And she tells him to shut up. You think this is fun. And, and as you said, a few minutes ago, she goes off on him. Clearly he doesn't deserve it. And I think the cruelest thing she could say to him you're not my sidekick and then grabs you know or he grabs his stuff and and runs off and geez you can't blame him i mean i know it's stressful what she's going through and i don't mean to take that away but this is towns she knows who towns is she's already defended towns before because he can't defend himself and yet she does the same thing that Mr. Gibson does to him in class, essentially. So, yeah. Again, as Fred points out in his feedback, Henry's just hard to like, despite yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, there, there's, there's, she has her moments, you know. But you know, like I said, in this, especially this episode specifically, we really, she, she is very difficult to. Uh, to like and be sympathetic with her in this particular episode, but again, we with that that scene with Cleo, you know, we get the feeling that she realizes how she's being towards other people. She realizes 
that she's shutting people out and being cruel to people who don't deserve it. And that, you know, so, so there's this, but just like her, her ability is evolving and growing. We see now this, her, her, I guess her ability to empathize, her ability to um, appreciate the people around her. I, I think she's also can maybe take a step forward in this episode as well with that. Yeah, well, she's going to have to, or or she's going to lose these people that are helping her and and that she has been willing to confide in. So, yeah, that that is a step she's going to have to take. But but we get the big reveal. Then she finds herself in this storage closet again, walks out of it, and sees the height and age markings on the wall on the uh, the door frame, and her name at two years old and three years old. And I think the assumption is that, that she lived in this house Mm -hmm. at, at one time for at least a couple of years. So then it starts to make more sense why she's teleporting there. Is it possible there is somebody summoning her? Well, sure. That's certainly still in play. Does she feel safe in this house, in this closet? I mean, why didn't she teleport to her, bedroom in this house as opposed to this storage closet we we don't know but yeah right that's a good point so for whatever reason there's something about this closet yeah well we we knew her her dad is still out there you know like you know we assume that at at some point she's gonna meet her dad again and so is does he still live in the place where they used to live possible you know is you know, the, the question whether she's being summoned or not like like you just said i would tend to think maybe she's not necessarily being summoned so much as this is you know a place where and, and like you know it's almost scary like the place that she felt safe and comfortable in her old house was the closet right so you know yeah. that that could potentially speak to uh, a lot of what happened with her and her past and everything so well, right, and you start to think, well, why would a child hide in the closet? And I think the thing that comes to mind for me, first of all, is that her parents were arguing or you know something along those lines as opposed to hiding from somebody that's got a gun. But yeah. uh, again, we'll see. Well, if, if, if we now, tie this in with what we see later with Tristan, you know, and if henry's dad was trying maybe he was trying to hide her from like nikolai and so you know the place she felt safe was you know like just kind of like tristan throws the blanket over his head and counts to three um maybe this is her version of that we see him searching for his son who we certainly suspect is in uh, nikolai's custody at this point but Sam, that guy he goes to see out in the cabin, tells him, dude, I'm leaving. I suggest you do the same. Sam tells him it's a trap. And that's when Dom says, they cut me open. You saw it. They'll do the same to Tristan, which is pretty frightening. But then a question that we've wondered about and, and we've talked about before, Sam tells him, you know there's no genetic connection related to teleportation. And he's begging Sam to help him. And, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of refreshing that somebody says, you know what? No. <laughs> there's too much danger here. You're on your own, dude. And 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 Sam just leaves. But he has well, a clue. Just really, really quick, Dad, just he doesn't say that, that there's no – he just said there's no proof. So – it, it it seems like it's possible that it's genetic. Okay. Okay. Good point. Good point. Um, so he's got a clue that his son has been taken to a place that appears to be a gravitational wave observatory, not unlike the one he was held in. So we don't really have any more information than that, but I think we can start to piece things together gravitational wave observatory apparently there are instruments that can detect and i think this is probably apropos to describe it this way a disruption in the force and (laughs) i i mean i mean that's 
the yeah, yeah, that's I, I think that's a reasonable sure. d- deduction there. So is there somebody somewhere that has instrumentation that can detect when somebody is teleporting somewhere in the world? That's what I take away from, from that little scene there. So uh, again, we'll, we'll see where there takes us, but Dom teleports into a building wearing headphones and carrying a gun. I guess we have to assume the headphones are to block out that little device that, that Nikolai had before. So we don't necessarily know, uh, you know, whether it's going to work or not, but he sees Nikolai up on the second floor also with a gun. And then of course the teleporting begins and then Tristan standing in the open. But, uh, but again, Nikolai is one step ahead of Dom and apparently he's got something. I think he, uh, he says he ate candy that the man gave him. So that must've put something in Tristan's system that he can only go so far in this building without, you know, that, that high pitched. Right. Well, he can't shrill. go anywhere. He, he, every time yeah. that Dominic tries to transport, uh, Tristan doesn't go with him. Um, yeah, you know, right, is, right. Uh, you know, Sam tells him it's a trap. Dominic knows it's a trap. Everything that happens to him in this place is he's being directed Right, like following Nikolai, finding Tristan, all of this stuff obviously was meant to happen to get him to this place. Nikolai's big mistake is he paints Dominic into too much of a corner and, and doesn't give him an option. So the the awful tragic ending that that we see here is you know, Nikolai is for Nikolai planning everything out, it's like he didn't plan this last bit right well enough he didn't think that oh well dominic might choose to kill his son and himself rather than stay there right and and, i mean he tells him that he's worried they'll experiment on his son and, and nikolai says well he might not even have the gene even if he does it'll be years before his ability develops so as you said that we don't have the proof that there's a genetic connection but clearly whoever is doing the experimenting thinks the possibility still exists and then as you said it's such a tragic ending that we're shocked nikolai's shocked as you said he's got a lot of things covered that wasn't one of them for him to hug his son kill him and then kill himself so yeah, and I, I didn't uh, see that coming. Just, yeah, right. And it just speaks to how horrific these experiments must be. Yeah, yeah. For him I mean, to must take be such a drastic really, step. really, yeah, absolutely. They must. Yeah, obviously, these experiments are completely awful. That right. he would rather his son be dead than be subjected to them. Right, and then we go back to Henry and have to wonder whether somebody is going to notice a disruption in the force in rest. Where do they live? Reston? No, Reston's in Virginia. Well, no, it's it's called Reston, New York, which I don't think is actually a place. So, uh, anything else that we didn't bring up that you want to talk about? Well, I, I mean, just what we kind of alluded to there at the very end. There, we talked about how there is this. There's stuff going on that Henry is a part of, but she doesn't know about. Now, she's starting to know about because Towns found these videos. So she's starting to realize that there is there are others like her out there, but she still has no idea. And, and obviously what is coming for her is awful. It is so bad that Dominic would rather kill his son and himself than have either of them spend one more minute involved with whatever is coming for her. But, you know, it's coming for her, though. You know, we know it's only a matter of time before her, quote-unquote, you know, idyllic world in Reston is going to come bang up against this horrible world that Nikolai represents. Right. So what we don't know is how much time does she have has she been noticed yet? We we don't know that, but 
as you just said, we know it's coming. We just don't know when. Yep. So, all right. Well, you want to hear what Fred has to say this week? Let's do it. All right. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Impulse Season 1, Episode 4. First off, nice, Dave, that you didn't skip my questions you knew already the answers to in the previous podcast, but you let Wayne react to them. I really appreciate that. First, a general remark about Henry. I really wonder if I like her. If I see... Although she is in a lot of stress, I can imagine. If I see how she treats Jenna, although Jenna does a lot of effort for her. How she treats Towns. How she treats her mother. Although after Jenna told her the truth, she did her best to treat her mother differently. Just pubescent behavior. And actually, if she becomes an adult... A nice young woman? Or does she have a not-so-nice character? And of course, in the psychology and Freud, we can all refer that to lost her father and living just with her mother who has her own problems, etc., etc. But is this just all circumstantial or is this just not a very nice character? And meaning with the word character, which has a double meaning in English, but not in Dutch. Meaning how you are, your personality, and not a character in the sense of a figure, a person. Who is definitely not nice is this Clay, now it's for sure. If you see how he treats the girlfriend, Patty, that comes visit him in the hospital. Oh, 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 I think perhaps he would be the Biggest a-hole in the family, Boone. And what a big risk Cleo takes there to go and work, perhaps, for Bill Boone. Whoa. But that gives a nice tension in this series. I really like that Henry didn't say anything to a mother. On the other hand, I'm starting to wonder if that Bill Boone is as bad as he looks. Because the worst thing I saw him doing is treating his sons not as he should. But if we see how these sons are, perhaps they are the biggest a-hole and he just treats them as they deserve. After taking Henry, he did bring her back. And he is actually nice to Cleo. And the hooker he had, well, he just paid her and was not very unnice to her. And the whole drug trafficking and producing is perhaps also something just by Lucas and not by his father. Okay, what do you think? Prediction. Is Bill Boone a semi-good guy? Or is he a real bad guy just as his son's? question is, what is happening to the police officer that is making photographs outside there and also sees Cleo? What kind of repercussions will this have for the police officer and for Cleo? Nice for me that I brought up the discussion about genetics just two podcasts ago. In this episode, of course, the genetic question was raised as well by Dominic. Of course, interesting stuff at the end of the episode. Not only interesting, but also horrifying, of course. But the interesting thing is that Henry seems to go back to her old home, assuming that the mark there on the door, Henrietta, is her own height. And the end of the episode makes it clear that the threat that comes from this Nikolai is so great that Dominique even kills his son and himself. So, it's a big threat to these telekinesis people. Nice final thing is that Henry is starting to realize that there possibly be more people like her due to Towns' video. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands.
And next week will be very special for me, because that will be my 100 Sci-Fi TV Rewatch feedback. And have a nice Christmas. Um, you know, I mean, Fred brings up what we've been talking about all along. And, and do we excuse Henry's behavior simply because she's a teenager? I mean, it, it's a difficult question to answer. Again, she has to understand that by her throwing all of this on somebody like Towns, that's a lot for him too. Yes, it's a lot for me. I'm teleporting in my sleep now. I'm freaked out. But she knows Towns. She knows what he's all about. She's got to be able to control her emotions a little better. And and so I don't think we give her a total pass. I think she's going to have to, as you said a few minutes ago, she's going to have to She's going to have to get better, you know? Yeah. She's got a team, and she's got to manage her team a little bit better than she is. Right. And in, in, in terms of managing his team, you know, when Bill Boone brings Cleo on board at the car dealership, is he turning out to be a good guy after all? Is he simply giving this woman a chance because of that incident with the tip? Maybe. Uh, I mean, certainly we, we know Bill Boone's in league with the Mennonite drug manufacturers. So certainly there is that uh, the fact that he's having sex with Iris, the waitress from the diner, uh, you know, he's single and apparently she's single. I mean, we don't know that she's got a husband that she's cheating on. So, you know, two consenting adults, he didn't seem to be forcing her to do anything. So you know, it's 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 a good narrative play that we don't really know whether Bill's good or bad. I mean, he takes her out to the Mennonite farm, but, you know, we learn he, he just really feels like she knows something that he needs to know. And then, you know, he takes her home. No harm, no foul <laughs> to a certain extent, you know, but yeah, um, you know, I just think especially with the his money you know like uh was iris after they have sex he gives her money it's not for the sex per se but he's just kind of helping her out uh at two different times in this one he offers uh, a lot of money to cleo the first time she doesn't take it but the second time she does so now she's you know, like I, I really don't think that Bill is a good guy. I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent that there is definitely an ulterior motive involved here, and he uses money to, you know, as to hold power over people, right? You know, like he's not giving Iris the money for the sex per se. He's not giving Cleo the money for any, you know, quid pro quo per se. But yet, that's what's happening. They're taking his money, um, and and he, that's how he kind of puts people in his pocket, so to speak. And so now Cleo's in his pocket, and um, you know, and maybe I'm just thinking all this because I just watched The Irishman last night. But you know, it's like almost like you know, like the mob, right? Like, uh, yeah, he's, he's got these people now. They're they're part of he's they're on his payroll, so to speak. Now, Fred brings up the idea of genetics, and it is certainly something he brought up a couple of podcasts back. And, of course, we all know Fred is a geneticist himself, so that will be interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm sure any genetic science that gets brought up in the series, you know, Fred will let us know whether they're on point or really in fiction land rather than science <laughs> land. But uh, the other thing is, as Fred points out, next week's going to be his 100th sci-fi TV rewatch feedback. And Fred, uh, just, you know, thank you for all your support. Thank you for checking in each week. And uh, here's to another hundred. Yeah. Thank so. you, Fred. All right. Well done. Uh, anything else we didn't bring up about Fred? Do you want to talk no, about? Uh, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, put this one to bed. Uh, well, it's 1030, well, I guess, 11 o'clock in the yeah. morning. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe putting, putting it to bed is not Maybe the- a little midday nap. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But uh, regardless, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about 
Impulse, Dark, uh, again, I guess we're about six months away. Anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Uh, if you're already a member, you can bring other people in. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website, or just record your own and send it to us as an MP3 attachment. We'll be back next week to discuss Impulse Season 1, Episode 5, titled The Eagle and the Bee. But until then... Well, it is the holiday season, and I wish everyone out there a happy holiday and everything. But, you know, but, you know just here at home, things are a little stressful. Uh, preparations, having people over, and I have to just keep saying to my wife, I'm not going to help you make fucking cookies. <laughs> <laughs>